My friends, today we're here to go through the first nine steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in less than an hour. If you're new here, I'm Jerry Banfield. I've been sober since 2014. I have a sponsor, he has a sponsor, and I'm sponsoring others. I have put my uh, lots of AA videos already on YouTube, and I'm working on an AA book or my own book on getting sober and video course. So we're gonna practice this here live on Twitch and answer any questions. And then we're just gonna go through all of these. I've chosen to break up and do this section with the first nine steps separately from the 10, 11, and 12. Because to me, 10, 11, and 12 are the steps you live and practice each day. Whereas these first nine steps get you into living in 10, 11, and 12. Some common questions or misconceptions I'll start with up front before we go through this. One, some of you might think you have to have a sponsor in order to do these steps. That is not true at all. You can do all nine of these steps without a sponsor. You don't even have to have a home group. You do not have to have read and finished the book before doing these steps. I did all nine of my first steps for the first time and got into living in 10, 11, and 12 even while the obsession to drink was on me before I finished reading the book, before I got a sponsor, and while I was only going to two meetings a week. Now, you're going to want to do a better job than that, but what I'm going to show you here and talk about will be enough to, as fast as possible, get you an initial run through these if you haven't made it already, get you living in 10, 11, and 12, and then you can always go work these through on a deeper level with a sponsor after reading all of the Alcoholics Anonymous book, go through and use the 12 and 12. I personally, when I sponsor someone, I suggest they read the entire big book before even doing anything with me unless they find something in their four step they're really bothered about and need to do a fifth step. I recommend read the whole big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and including the stories and then we'll go through the 12 and 12 together to really do a good job going through the steps. So this is an initial run for brand new members to get you off on a strong start. One of the main things I see people do wrong in AA is fool around and not do the steps. Oh, I've been coming a year and I'm on step three. No, if you wanna stay sober and have a happy life and help others, let's knock these out right now. You can literally go through and do all of these today and start living in 10, 11, and 12. So let's get to uh, the beginning of this right here. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, what does that mean in plain language? That means for me, I cannot drink safely and my sober life is so uncomfortable that I want to drink unsafely. That to me is the first step, that we admittedly we are powerless over alcohol. That just means I can't drink safely that sometimes I can have a drink or a couple of drinks and nothing happens. The world doesn't blow up and end all of a sudden. But other times I have one drink and I wind up with a gun pointed at three in the morning at somebody. Now, you never know which night is going to be the I had two drinks and nothing interesting happened versus I got violent at 3 a.m. And that's what powerlessness feels like is you don't have control. And I used to think if I could go home and have a couple of drinks and control at once that, you know, I mostly had control. 
But powerlessness means you don't control what happens. And that you, in simple terms, can't drink safely. To me, drinking safely means you can have a couple of drinks and be certain you won't drunk drive. You won't send nasty text messages to people. You won't go pay for somebody to come over and have sex with you. You won't go uh, do something dangerous or threaten somebody with violence or go out to the bar and get in a fight. Or you won't drink so much alcohol that you're making your body physically sick. To me, safe drinking equals boring drinking. You had a beer at a baseball game. That's not fun. Who wants to drink safely? I, I guess lots of people do want to drink safely. But if you're a person that honestly, the thought of having a beer or two, if you're honest with yourself, is just a tease. That's not what you really want. And if you've got drugs wrapped up in it too, you can just, in your steps, do over alcohol and drugs. If you have a drink and then you end up doing drugs from there, you know, alcohol and drugs are all wrapped up together into substance abuse. And I've seen lots of people who have substance abuse issues that do very well working these steps just like this. Because really, it only mentions alcohol right here. The rest of this is about getting our sober life together. So you can really put in about anything in here, especially if you're doing this for the first time. So the step number one is very straightforward. Can you safely drink? If the honest answer, not the lies or the rationalizations or the crap you give yourself, but the honest answer is no, I can't safely drink. I don't know what's gonna happen when I drink. I don't always control exactly how much I drink. And if you still wanna drink even knowing, if you still wanna drink unsafely, that's a big problem. If you know you can't drink safely and you still wanna drink anyway, that's insane. Because in a world where so many of us are obsessed with safety and do all these stupid, irrational things to try and stay safe, you're telling me that you drink unsafely and you, you know you can't drink safely and you're gonna do it anyway? That's insane. And step one is really about figuring out, oh, I'm insane. My mind is making piss poor decisions. My sober mind is making piss poor decisions. That's to me as our lives have become unmanageable says my sober mind, you know, before I've had a drink or any drugs is making piss poor decisions. That's an unmanageable life. When you're doing things you regret, when you're getting all high up and hot and bothered in one state and getting a drink or a drug and then you're coming down and feeling all this regret and remorse, that's insane, that's stupidity. That's sickness. Whatever you want to call it, you need some help. Step one's about realizing I can't drink safely. I still want to drink safely anyway. My mind is totally messed up, obviously. I really need some help. Not even sure what, how to go about that. So then we come to step two. We start to believe that something, something could restore us to sanity. Not even sure exactly what that is, but... How do we come to believe that something could restore us to sanity? Well, we see other people who've been restored to sanity. We see other people who've been where we've been and are now restored to sanity. Me. I used to know that I couldn't drink safely and I used to do it anyway. Like, screw it. I don't care if I die tonight. I don't care if somebody else does. I don't care if I 
blow all my paycheck on another stripper. I don't care if I wind up with a miserable hangover tomorrow. Even to the point at the end of my drinking, I don't care if my wife leaves me. I started to believe that I could get through that because I saw other people had got through it. I saw people at Alcoholics Anonymous meetings who clearly had been where I had been, who were as insane as I was when I came in new. I could see that they weren't like that anymore. That something had happened that they were now sane. They weren't sick and crazy and stupid anymore. I mean, you know, we all have our character growth opportunities slash defects. But I could see that, you know, they'd, they'd gotten rid of 95% of theirs. They'd gotten rid of the most glaring and the craziest and the stupidest and the sickest. And they'd made what to me looked like a miraculous transformation. So the main way to come to believe that something, whatever you call it, something could restore us to sanity is to see other people who've already been restored to sanity. So you can, if you don't have AA meetings you can go to, you can watch speaker meetings of people like I've got a six-year and a seven-year speaker meeting on YouTube and an eight-year one that's not as popular as the other two, so we're going to redo that. I've been restored to sanity. I love staying sober. I have no desire to drink at all. Even if I could drink safely, I don't want to. What a waste of my time and energy when I could do something better with myself. So we see, we can see at AA meetings, we can see in other people's stories. You can read Russell Brand's recovery book is fantastic. That's what inspired me. I'm like, I want to write a book like that. You can see in other people's stories that other people have been restored to sanity and therefore something could do it for you too. You're not that special where for some reason you're beyond redemption. Everybody is worthy of redemption. Everybody, there's some power, something, whether you think of it as, I, my favorite way to visualize in the context of the 12 steps is to picture all of humanity combined as a power practically infinitely greater than yourself. All of humanity combined would greatly benefit from you being sober and will provide all the assistance you need to be restored to sanity. So I, the way I go into step three is I look at, I've made a decision to turn my life and my will over to the human collective. That this body is now merely one ant in a tiny anthill and it's there to help build a nice anthill and to work together with the other ants. This is one body out of seven whatever billion people on this planet and I'm here to help make a nice life and cooperate and support and be of service to those other people on the planet. I'm not here to exploit them and suck the life out of them and make them do what I want them to do. I'm here to cooperate and serve. That to me is the best way that a practical way to visualize God because the idea of God through religions and this is why they put as we understood him has been screwed up and manipulated and used to control us and used to try and make us feel guilty and in fact make us into a step one case, make us into this insane person. So if, if the idea of God is not extremely comfortable and this does not easily work for you to just say, God, please I'll do anything to get sober, then look at it as the human collective. You're here to serve the human collective. And for me, one of the easiest ways, this is the first kind of, 
you know, step one is just getting honest. Step two is like looking around, getting some hope. Step three is like, okay, I'm making a decision to actually do something. And following that decision, the work begins. So for me, a simplest way to work step three is I don't have a problem with the word God because, you know, I've programmed that. I did when I got sober, but now I just say, God, please, I'll do anything to stay sober today. That's step three. If you say you'll do anything to stay sober today, you've now turned your life over to the human collective, to whatever power greater than yourself. Now you can have the courage to go through and do the rest of this stuff. Because really, these first three are just getting ready to take the action right here. I tell people, what's up, Dark Star Rising? Thanks for being the first content or first person on Twitch here. I tell people, I talked to a new girl very recently. She's been sober a couple months. She hasn't worked a step. She doesn't have a sponsor and she hasn't read the book. I'm like, all you need to do if you want to get started is write an honest story of your life. And then when things come up that bother you, share that with somebody else. And you've already done all the way to step four and five. If you want to just jump straight into this, step four, as I understand it, nice. Angel, appreciate you sharing your experience here. Angel says, three months sober from sex, weed, and cocaine. Nice. So if you want to do step four, here's how I did step four. I do not like how the big book lays it out. I'm sure that has worked. It seems like that's worked for a lot of people. But for me personally... What I found for step four, if I wanted to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself, I needed to write a very honest story of my life where we include things like suicide attempts that before coming to AA, I normally would have censored even in my own thoughts and absolutely from telling anybody else about my life. So for the first time... At 30 years old, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I wrote 29 and I turned 30 right after. I wrote out an honest story of my life from birth to right where I was at. I included all the suicide attempts, all the things that bothered me. Mr. Zealong, thank you very much for the big raid today. Mr. Zealong, I imagine, was playing Gods Unchained. I am doing Alcoholics Anonymous steps one through nine right here. I'm a life coach. Now, I was a gamer before. I'm a life coach now that is here to help you and everybody else that's alongside you that's interested in having the best quality life you can have, creating the life of your dreams, and that's what I do here every day. So thank you very much, Mr. Zealong, for the raid. A lot of us are struggling with alcoholism and addiction, and these these steps in Alcoholics Anonymous have saved my life. So I'm... I'm continually making more and more things about them to help as many people as possible. So, and this is something, even if you're not an alcoholic, that could be really helpful. If, for example, you're watching this to try and help somebody else who's an alcoholic, you might make an inventory of your own life and do these steps yourself first. Before expecting to change somebody else, why don't you look at yourself first? To me, this is what the steps are, is when we drank and are in the middle of our addiction, we spend all this time and energy criticizing and tearing everybody else down. And uh, then we did not take an honest look at ourselves in the process. So what I did is I wrote a 10,000 word story of my life on my computer with brutal honesty. 
I put exactly how screwed up my thoughts were going back to high school before I drank. I wrote about all the key events in my life, you know, th jobs I lost, all, and I wrote about consequences of my drinking, wrote about all my self-harm thoughts and thoughts for harming others, wrote about the crazy and dangerous things I did, and I made the mistake of putting this on the homepage of my website a few years later. The police ended up coming to my house after some parents at my daughter's school read through it and they, I guess they didn't get to the end where it was all inspiring and I'd changed and they just immediately created this crazy story. So I recommend do not share this on a public format based on my experience doing so. But what you want to do is, and you can write this out by hand, you could narrate this out, you could type it out, but whatever you do, take a real deep look at yourself. Shipman, a mother cult member, nice to see you on the live stream. Shipman says, what if you're not a religious person? Do you need to become religious to become a part of AA? Absolutely not. I am not a religious person. I actually have a very negative attitude towards most of the religions on earth because the way I see it, most of them have been abused through power structures to control people, to make people feel guilty, to split people's personalities in half, and to help people actually serve the devil or to hurt each other or you know give people some ideal they can't live up to and then let leave them feeling guilty and full of shame and secretive and then doing bad things in private i think the message of jesus for example was that you are all gods and even the least among you can do all that i have done and greater things and that's the core message and then religion just totally screwed that up into He's God, you're not, do what we tell you. So I can't stand a lot of the religions on earth, at least as they're executed through relig religious organizations. Now, I believe the core spiritual principles are very strong. And to me, Alcoholics Anonymous is somewhat of a program for a recovering Christian. Like somebody whose Christianity has led them into a place of hell. And we're going to get you out of there and get you connected back to the real source the real power of all, not some human-created God that puts you in hell because of something you thought or something you said, and if you don't believe exactly how we do, you're going to hell, but it gets you back to the infinite power, the one true love God in the universe. Religion and a connection with your God are different. Yes, so what we're talking about here is spirituality. So religion, at its idealistic sense, talks about somebody else's spiritual experience. King Dryday, nice to see you again. How are you doing? What's new? Shipment says, great answer. Thank you. I'm glad you found that helpful because that's a very common question people have. And especially when you're thinking about turning your life over, really the whole point of these steps is to get you to have the courage to take an honest look at yourself. On no lies, no BS, no more hiding the truth from yourself. And then what happens? So for me, I wrote out a 10,000 word story of my life. And then I started sharing about it at Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. So I started things I never or that I kept to myself and tried to sweep under the rug and hide all the evidence. I started raising my hand and talking about my suicide attempts at Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And that's doing the fist step because... 
you know, five, admitted to God, to ourselves, okay, like, you're, you're going to do that. You know that spirituality is connecting to a sense that without your mind and without your body, there's still, who are you without your mind and your body? And to me, that's what God is. That's what soul energy is. That's what I really am. So admitting to God and ourselves is not much of a deal. Like you figure, well, God, however you think of it, the human collective already knows what you've done. And to yourself, all right, we're being honest with ourselves. But the key part of step five is that you're talking to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And the key thing about wrongs, you can look at it as things you feel guilt, shame, and remorse over. So if you don't feel any guilt, shame, or remorse over it, then uh, you know, in some ways you may not be considerate enough of others to see where you might feel guilt, shame, and remorse. But what's important is that we share our life story with other people, especially the parts that bother us. Like for me, the childhood sexual traumas I'd had, those and and the you know the little criminal things I had done and the crazy thoughts I had had, you know those were the things I really needed to the self harm and stuff. Those are the things I needed to talk with other people about because I felt really bad about them. I felt really alone. I felt really sick and stupid and crazy. And uh, what you don't realize doing the fist step is that you need somebody else to give you different perspective. Because, and I, when I first went through my four step, you know, I started sharing the things I found in my life story right in the middle of open AA meetings. And that's when I got ready after looking at my life story and sharing some of the things I found in open AA meetings. Then we'll go, we'll circle back deeper into this, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep moving forward and then come back and deepen this a bit. So when I started talking about the, you know, the exact nature of my wrongs, like my self-harm attempts, like my obvious selfishness and self-centeredness, and uh, when I looked at my whole life story and saw, you know what, I'm not exactly a hero in this life story. If anything, I'm neutral at best and we're, you know, we're, the other people in my life are suffering because of my behavior. And when we share, start sharing things in open meetings, people come talk to us after meetings, people give us suggestions, and uh, to me it promotes a readiness. It, you start to see some patterns. Because a lot of us when we're up here, we're blaming other people, we're resentful at the world, we're playing the victim, we're not taking responsibility for our life. Or we're a way over the top remorseful perpetrator who thinks everything in the I've done everything wrong, I'm a piece of crap. You know, sometimes you call this have this in uh, ego self-centered or what do you call that? The inferiority complex. So you you're like really grandiose and have this huge sense of self and an inferiority complex at the same time. So often when we come in we're very much this, you know, blustering, I'm so great, I know everything and under the surface we're pretty sure we're a piece of crap who doesn't deserve to live. So we don't have humility. We're both too high and too low. And when we go through and when I wrote out an honest 10,000 word story in my life and I started sharing it with other people, I started to notice some patterns. Like, you know what? I'm I'm a lot nastier than I think I am. I've been a lot more dishonest. 
than I think I have been. Like, I considered myself an honest person. Often, you know, I'm so honest and I would point out other people's dishonesty. But when I made a story in my life, like, you know what? I'm struggling. Things aren't going so well for me. I've made a lot of bad choices. I'm not sure what to do about it. I've been afraid. I've been selfish. I've been stupid. I'd really like to do better. And step six is just being ready to let go of how we've been. Like, you know what? I'm tired of being sick and stupid and selfish and nasty and a liar. I'm sick of being this way. And when I wrote this honest story of my life out and looked at it and started talking about it, it developed this readiness in me. Like, you know what? I want to do better. I don't want to keep doing what I've done before. I don't want to keep having fights with my wife and, and then thinking about hurting myself for two hours afterwards. I don't want to keep telling people I'm going to get sober and relapsing and therefore being a liar. I don't want to keep making my body physically sick anymore. I don't want to keep thinking I'm an honest person and then telling people I'm going to help them move and then I suddenly change my mind at the last minute because I drank all night and couldn't be bothered to think of them. I don't want to be like that anymore. And to step six about looking at how you've been and saying I don't want to be like that anymore. And then step seven is I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes to stop being that way. And that's, you know, please God, I'll do anything to be free of all these defects of character. So step three is like, God, please, I'll do anything to stay sober. And it's like, oh my God, staying sober just gives us a shot. Like my drinking was the tip of the iceberg. There were a lot of other things, even sober, that were not going very well in my life. And I don't just want to stay sober, but I want to be a better person. I want to be the best person I can be. I don't want to drive like a jerk. I don't want to be an aggressive driver who runs people off the road when I get upset and you know, is ready to pull my gun out and shoot somebody in traffic. Like that's I don't want to be like that anymore. Please God or human collective or however you want to look at it, you could just set an attention. I'll do whatever it takes to be a person who's characterized by love, hope, faith, honesty, concern for others. I'll do whatever it takes to stop being such a jerk. We often see that when we take a real look at our lives, we've been selfish, we've been self-centered, that we would not have wanted to be treated how we were treating everybody else. It says in a book, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. That the root of a plant or a tree is what holds it in place and what keeps it nourishing and allows it to grow. And if you really want to get rid of a weed or a tree, you take it out by the roots. You rip the roots out and now it's gone. So what we start to see in doing this is, wow, I've been very selfish. I've not considered others. And I really want to stop that and be a better person. So by step seven, we're ready to be a better person. I'll do whatever it takes to be a better person. And it, part of being a better person is visualizing, well, what would a better person do? If somebody cuts me off in traffic and I don't want to be how I've been before, 
then how am I going to behave? I mean, if you don't have any other ideas, if when something happens in traffic and all that I know how to do is stick my hand out the window or honk my horn or tailgate them or you know get in front of them and slam on my brakes, if those are the only options I have in my head, I'm doomed to repeat that behavior unless I can get some better ideas. So step seven is like, God, please give me some better ideas. That's a very simple prayer. Or if you don't want to use God, you can say, I am ready to receive better ideas. For example, when I was raised as a kid, I used to hit my brother a lot who was a couple years younger and my dad had a, if you hit him, I'll hit you policy. And my mind still suggests that sometimes, even though I've never practiced that policy with my kids, that's in my toolkit. Like that's one of the ways I've seen if your your older child hits your younger child, your father's policy of if you hit him, I'll hit you is one option. So I don't want to hit my children. I refuse to be a parent who hits my children. What's challenging is my mind sometimes takes a minute to come up with any other solutions. So my daughter hauls off and hits my son and he's crying. My mind's like, you should hit her. And I say, God, please give me some better ideas. Please give me some better ideas. And sometimes I don't have to do anything. I just stand there, he's crying, and uh, I wait. Sometimes just taking a pause. And then my wife steps in and she was not raised with uh, if you hit him, I'll hit you. So that is not in her toolkit. So she can automatically handle the situation in a way that I think is acceptable and I don't even have to do anything. Like literally sometimes, God, please help me have some better ideas. Doing nothing is often a better idea than whatever my mind has come up with. So you know you're practicing step seven if you're asking for better ideas. If you're seeing character defects and you'd like to get some additional ways to act and behave. And this is where we need advice from other people because you might not know what else to do in your car besides honk your horn, stick your finger out the window, tailgate, slow down in front. You might not know, well, what else am I supposed to do? So what I've learned to do is I've asked people, how do you drive nicely? What do you do instead of this? And then somebody will tell you, well, Instead of doing that, I think what kind of day is this person having who's driving like this? They're probably having a bad day and I pray for them. Like, oh, so when somebody cuts you off, you pray for them and you hope that person feels better because obviously they're disturbed if they're driving that way, okay? So now I've got a new tool in my toolkit and we get a lot of new tools in our toolkits by going on to step eight. So we go on to step eight and... We make a list. This is just making a list. So again, this is something you can do. You can do all this totally without a sponsor or even going to meetings, but you know, you can just there's a lot of ways to do the steps. I started I just one day for this particular step, the first time I did it, I just wrote down a hundred nasty things I had done to people. Because what we start to see when we make an honest story of our lives, we start talking with other people. We were like, man, I'm tired of these defects of character. Please, God, let me be a better person, get some better ideas. Well, step eight is taking this process deeper because often in the fourth and fifth, in these steps, we've only scratched the surface 
of how selfish and nasty we've been to other people. So in step eight, we go even deeper than that. And for my step eight, I and some people might call this other ones, but I wrote down a hundred nasty things I'd done to people in my life. And yes, it hurt to wrote that list. And I wrote those on a piece of paper. Some of them I hadn't remembered even when I did my original four step. I wrote them on a piece of paper and then tore it up into small pieces and threw it in the trash. And in writing that piece of paper, the idea is you look at how you've treated other people, especially the ways in which you've been nasty to other people, that if you were the other person, you wouldn't have wanted to get treated that way. If I was the other driver, I wouldn't have wanted to get ran off the road because I was trying to merge at the same time. And we make a list of these and often... If you want to have a smooth transition into step nine, it can help to talk with the sponsor or talk with an experienced member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It can help to talk with somebody else who's done this before prior to taking action. When I was making this list, one of I, I went through and made lots of different lists with step eight. So it's important to me to do an initial run through of the steps. Just get through them, get into living in 10, 11, and 12, get into the spiritual awakening as soon as possible, then you can always work deeper and repeat and go over these nine over and over again. So I made my first list, just wrote people out. But the very first time before I even made that list, I just, I'm like, I looked at, wow, the main people I've harmed, my wife, my mother, my brother, and friends and family. Like, you know, I the very first time I did this, I didn't even write the list out because I knew. I'm like, well, I've been a pretty crappy husband, son, brother, friend, family member, etc. And I became willing. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better husband, a better brother, a better son. I'm going to do whatever it takes to do better in my relationships. And... Uh, I jumped straight into step nine then. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be a better husband, better son. And the very first essential thing we can do in step nine is do not drink or relapse again. Don't do that again. Because that is that often just crushes our family members and friends. Especially when you've told everybody, what's up, gas nippy, nice to see you today. Especially when you've told everybody you're going to stay sober. And I swear to God, this time, and I'm going to AA, one of the best direct amends you can make immediately is stay sober no matter what. No relapses, no excuses, no other drugs, no BS. You stay sober and ask for help when it's difficult. And if you want to make it easier, proactively ask for help in advance. Now, ask for help in advance. Be prepared for a bad day instead of suddenly, oh my God, I'm having a miserable day and I don't have any phone numbers or a sponsor. I don't know who to talk to. At least you can go to a meeting. So the, the very first direct amends that needs to be made is quit plotting relapses. Do whatever it takes to finish and live these 12 steps. So one of the first direct amends you can do is get on to step 10 and be ready next time one of these character defects come up. Next time they come up, don't be such a jerk. Next time you get into a fight with your wife, 
be nicer as fast as possible. End the fight as fast as possible. Surrender. Let her have her way. Don't say that next nasty thing. So you can immediately start making direct amends to the people you're already in touch with by immediately being a nicer person right away. And then, and admitting the wrongs you've done. Some people in the big book talk about you know, keeping secrets and stuff, like except when to do so would injure them or others. Obviously, each situation depends to me. If you want to make direct amends, direct amends to me includes transparency. So if, you, if you've had a relationship and you've violated big things in the relationship, but those are kept secret, if you, and amends is to be honest so that the other person knows what they're involved with. For example, if you're in a romantic relationship and you agreed to be monogamous and you violated that, that needs to be discussed. Absolutely. If you are in a business partnership and you've been violating the business partnership, for example, by you know, taking, siphoning off the money to yourself, handing it over to your friends. If you work somewhere and you've been stealing, if you've been cheating at work or something like that. I mean, some of, some of these gamers that are, you know, made a big deal themselves, if they were to do this process, why don't you go ahead and admit to your fans you've been cheating at the game? That'd be direct amends wherever possible. So to me, this this step can be scary and painful and challenging, but you're setting yourself up for long-term success. For example, if you've been in a relationship and you cheated on the other person and they don't want to stay with you and they're really upset, good, because now they've got the truth. They're not living a lie. They've got the truth. And if they want to divorce you and leave you and take the kids and take the money, then your direct amends could be be nice through that process. Be nice through that process. Don't be a jerk because you set this whole situation up. You uh, and uh, other people have, other people are struggling too. That's why there's programs called like Al-Anon. It's for people who are friends and family members of alcoholics. They're struggling too. One of the best ways we can make amends to other people is have some grace and some love and consideration for their struggles. And that was a big lesson for me is to, you know, when I went through this process, I made very clear to my wife all the things I did that I thought she would be horrified by. Things like being nasty to our animals. It was like, that was the number one thing she was really hurt about. But I also, you know, talked about like strippers at my bachelor party, etc. So I made very clear to my wife all the things I did that I th had kept secret and that I thought she'd be utterly horrified by. She said one of her biggest fears was somebody living a double life. And I revealed my double life to her. You know, like all the adult movies I was watching and my masturbation tendencies. I talked with her about all of this. Now, some people are kind of, in my opinion, a little too soft or too much of this ego preservation. And to me, this is an ego destruction and key rebirth step. My wife, for years, was full of this like simmering hatred and resentment at all the things I had revealed. But it has helped us to make our strongest relationship ever. And it, you know what my direct amends to her was? Was to be honest and share these things that I had done that horrified her. 
and that she knew about on some level. We often are too... We think we've kept things secret and other people don't know. What I've learned is that we have a telepathic connection, not just to other people, but to nature, to everything. And if you want to find God, knowing that telepathic, energetic, mental connection to everything is the clearest you're going to get to finding God, is in my experience. Once you can see that you're connected to everything, everywhere, in all times and multiverses directly by thought, to me, that's, that's proof of a higher power. And a lot of the things I had done, like being nasty to the animals, my bachelor party, the adult movies, and you know my self-sex habits, they were known on some level to my wife. Or they created mysteries in her life, or they, they created things that she suspected. And it was very important to bring these things out in the open so that these things were in the darkness in her mind and in the minds of others. It's important to bring these things out into the light so that everybody can see clearly and then we can go forward from there. And I'm glad my wife chose to stay with me. She very much felt trapped and my direct amends to her was to be nice through her healing process. And I kept trying to get her to go to Al-Anon and she one day said, you know, Clearly, whatever I do works pretty well for me. So why don't you just accept that? You do what you do. What I'm doing, obviously, I'm here. I'm happy most of the time. Obviously, what I do works pretty well. So lay off me about what I should do. And uh, a direct amends, the, the direct amends I've made with my mother. So in the process... It's important to just get through these, make an initial run of these, and start on every step. Because you can see that in the process of making some direct amends, you're going to be wrong again, and other people are going to be upset, and then you're going to get upset, and that's you need the 10th, 11th, and 12th step to really go all the way. But we're going to do that in a video in the future, because... The key is we want to thoroughly understand these nine steps. These nine steps are the foundation that give us a chance to stay sober and have a great life to be happy, joyous, and free for the rest of our lives. So I'll share some more of my experience with doing these nine steps. And I've continued to deepen these over and over again. For example, with my mother, my initial amends with my mother, first off was to call her instead of drink. That's an amends. Instead of just drinking and telling her I'd relapse the next day to call her before I took a drink and say, Mom, I'm struggling. I've got the obsession to drink. That's an amends. To my wife, an amends is to, instead of just relapsing and she comes home to it, to be honest and say, I'm, I'm struggling with being sober. That's an amends. When you, then that's why you want to do this as soon as possible. You see that you're constantly, if you're in active addiction... And especially, my wife said my early sobriety was more difficult than my drinking. Because at least when I drank, I'd have the ups and downs where I'd, you know, I'd be all high and crazy in my drinking. Then I'd, in my downs, I'd be very sorry and very humiliated. And please, I'll do anything to stay with you. We'll do whatever you want. And I'd be very like over the top, sweet and 
you know, just do anything regardless of how I felt about it because I felt bad for, you know, being up playing video games and screaming all night and then the next day I'm hungover. Sure, I'll do whatever you want. You want to do this with your family? Sure, sure. And I'd sit and be quiet instead of talking all the time. So it kind of made my drinking made more of a kind of a complete life. Whereas I get sober and now I'm just aggravated all the time and I'm not remorseful. I'm righteous. I'm right all the time. I'll argue every single point because I'm sober and I'm not doing anything wrong at all. My wife said my early sobriety was much more difficult than the end of my drinking. Shipman says, thank you for your words today. Have a great rest of your day. Shipman, I really appreciate you being here. And you can always watch the replays of these on YouTube or listen on the Jerry Banfield Show podcast. Uh, that can be one of the best ways to enjoy these. And then you get the best experience live hanging out, talking on Twitch. You get notifications, so you get to see them earlier than anywhere else. So these steps can be challenging, but going back up here, you know, we made a decision to turn ourselves over to, the, to something bigger than our ego and our idea of how it should be. You know, we're now we're now rebirthing ourselves into the person we really want to be, a sober life that we really enjoy. So I kept deepening this step. For example, when I was five years sober, I was talking to a guy that was kind of like another sponsor, although I already had a sponsor. I was talking to a guy with like 40 years sober and I was just running through my life with him. And I talked about my mother and I, I asked him like, do you see any, is there anything I'm missing? He's like, you might check with your mother and see if there's any more amends you can make with her. I'm like, seriously, I think I've done quite a bit of amends for my mother at this point. Like I've, I've been sober five years now. I've turned my life around. And he said, well, why don't you ask her? So I did. I called her and I said, Mom, you know, I know we've at this point, I'd already been over my nine steps with my mother a few times. I said, Mom, I'd like to ask in the context of the ninth step on my AA meetings. Is there anything else I could do to make our relationship better for you? Are there any amends I haven't made? Is there anything anything else? And she said, yes. I would love to hear from you every day. At this point, she lived 650 miles away from me. She said, I'd love to hear from you every day. And uh, at first, I'm like, at this, at that point, I was talking to her maybe once or twice a week for an hour or two each call. And at first, I'm like, uh, every day? I mean, I can't do an hour or two phone call a day. But then I realized, well, couldn't I just divide the time up? So let's say on an average week, I talked to my mother for at least 90 minutes. Couldn't I divide that 90 minutes up among seven days and talk to her for like 15 minutes every single day instead of 90 minutes all put into one or two days? So when I asked her that, it turned out to be one of the biggest you know, smallest little changes, but a very high impact positive change in our relationship. Calling my mother every day for a few minutes instead of having these long drawn out conversations helped us turn our relationship in a very positive direction because 
Instead of having most days of the week where my mother wouldn't hear from me, she has grown to really enjoy hearing from me every day. And now that is three years later, my mom has moved next door to me, which she lived in Mississippi for 17 years. It was a big move for her to make. And she did that. The, me talking to her every day was a huge part of getting our relationship into the position where she felt safe and wanted and uh, like it was willing to go through all the discomfort and cost of moving to be next door. Now I go over and see her every single day. Even if it's just for 15 minutes or for 40 minutes or an hour, I go make some time to see her every day. And that is... That's what you can do going through these steps repeatedly. So since the very first time I went through and wrote the story, started talking about an open meeting, started to see some patterns and other people pointed them out too, made an initial list like, wow, I've been a crappy husband, son, etc. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be nicer, to do a little bit better and a lot better wherever I can. I've went back through these over and over since then. I've went much deeper in, in my inventory my fourth and fifth step and uh, read entire books like Drop the Rock and the sixth and seventh step and made more lists. One of the bad ideas I had one day, I made a list of all the girls I'd went out with and was not very nice to. And uh, I had the idea that, you know what, I should just call all these girls up and say I'm sorry. And making direct amends is not about saying you're sorry to someone. Making direct amends is about making the relationship right between the two of you. So sometimes, for example, with my wife, I needed to say I'm sorry for all the things I did. Like, I'm sorry for being so nasty to the animals. I'm sorry for having those strippers at my bachelor party. You know, I'm sorry for all these adult movies I've watched. And... So that's like part one. And then part two is I'm not going to do any of that stuff anymore. I'm going to be nice to the animals. I'm not going to watch any more adult movies. I'm not going to do things myself anymore sexually. We're going to talk about everything we do sexually. And, uh, you know, I've made later amends for things like irresponsibly spending our money. I'm going to spend our money responsibly. So making direct amends is about making the relationship whole because selfishness and self-centeredness, the root of our troubles, goes together with loneliness. And alcoholics and addicts are consistently lonely people. And when we make our relationships right and then 10, 11, and 12, we keep them right and go deeper and farther and better and better relationships... The nine step gets us started on making our relation our wrong relationships right. And when we make our relationships right, we have connection, we're not lonely, and it's very easy to not be selfish but to be considerate of others. To consider ourselves and to be considerate of others. Cuz some of us think that well getting sober I just have to forget myself completely and kill my ego and be this selfless drone. And I say, no, you want to balance. Because if you just have a bunch of selfish drones and you get one little dictator, 
that takes over all the selfish drones and makes them do horrible things. So we don't just want to be selfish drones. We want to be very selfless drones. We want to be very true to who we are inside and why we're here. And we want to be considerate and knowledgeable of who others are and why they're here. And in working with others, we get a very clear contact with our higher power. So making direct amends to people is not about saying I'm sorry and trying to help me feel better and let me off the hook. It's about noting where I've been wrong in my relationships and finding a path to make those relationships right going forward. So I've been nasty to the animals in the past. We Making direct amends means I admit that. I stop keeping that secret and hiding that. I admit that. I say I'm sorry for doing that. And going forward, I will practice gentleness with the animals. That is an amends. Now, an important part of this, if somebody does not want to have a relationship with me, me reaching out to talk to them violates when to do so would injure them or others. So the, I, the idea I had that I'm going to call all these girls I've dated up. Now, this was when I was with my wife. I was married for three years at this point in my early sobriety. Two years. Been with my wife over three years at that point. And I had this idea I'm going to call all these girls up I've dated before that I hadn't talked to any of them in quite a while. Usually at least three years, if not much longer. I'm going to call all them up and say I'm sorry for how I acted. That violates when to do so would injure them or others. And I've seen a lot of people go wrong from this. I've seen people get piss poor advice from their sponsors on this. The point of direct amends, wherever possible, is to fix the relationships I've got in my life. And the relationships need to be mutual. So, for example, I have never called up my old employers and apologized to them for anything because they have not expressed any interest in having contact with me or a relationship with me. I have not called up, like for example, I used to be a police officer, I've not called up my old police departments and apologized for my behavior because they've expressed no interest in receiving a call from me. They would probably rather not hear from me. They probably don't have hardly any of the same people that work there and uh, I would be further injuring or disturbing them to try and bring all these old things up, which would be a distraction from what else is going on there. And uh, the same thing was pointed to me out with the girls I dated. So I only dated one other girl in Florida, uh, maybe a couple, besides my wife. So most of the girls I had dated were not even in the same state as me. And none of them had expressed a desire to have an ongoing relationship with me after we dated, which is pretty understandable. And therefore, calling any of them up to address any of the ways I behaved would be injuring them. Because you could imagine most of them don't want to think about me again. Most of them don't want to hear from me again. Now, if any of them, let's say, sent me a message on Facebook and said, hey, I, and they reached out and they wanted a direct amends. Or they, let's say, I still saw them 
like they were a coworker or something, let's say I still saw them, and both of us did want to continue being friends, then that would be the place to make a direct amends. So it's important that we don't go bothering people that we're not going to have a relationship with any longer. And uh, I got some harrowing stories. There was a lady in a meeting when I raised this topic. She said that she had heard of a story in AA where a guy that had assaulted a woman and they hadn't talked or nothing had happened since the experience. He's going through doing his nine step. He calls her up, says he's sorry for what he did to her. She records a conversation, gives it to the police, sends him to prison. Now, is that the... That's an example to me that, you know, maybe that was part of the healing process or more likely to me, he created additional injury to her, brought up something that she would have rather just left in the past and he injured her again by uh, making that phone call and he went to prison for it. So I didn't have anything like that to worry about in my past, which I'm thankful for and fortunate for. And if you do, I'm not judging. I understand life is, you know, we can make some bad decisions in life. And I'm lucky I didn't have anything that severe to worry about. That said, you know, if I had called up some of the girls I dated before, I certainly could have invited some drama. I could have invited some drama perhaps with my wife or with old employers or who knows. If you don't, if somebody you've had a bad relationship with doesn't express a desire to reconnect with you, then you should not be messing around with them. Now, I look at it, I'm prepared. If I happen to run into any of the girls I dated before, if they approach me, I'm ready to make direct amends and say, look, I was a jerk to you. you know, I'm sorry for just driving off and never talking to you again. I'm sorry for bringing the drama I did into work and uh, you know I, I I hope you've had a nice life since then and I've changed my life and I'm doing the best I can to treat other people to treat people better so I'm prepared should something like that come along another instance I can think of is there was a person in AA that I had a bunch of negative thoughts and judgment towards and uh, my instinct said not to do this, but I ignored it. I went to them to try and make amends, but all I did was injure them because they didn't have any issue with me. They didn't realize I'd had all these thoughts judging them, at least on a conscious level. What's up, Deadbeat Gamer? Nice to see you. They didn't realize I'd had all these negative judgmental thoughts about them, and they said that, you know, by telling me this, you've hurt me. And I'm like, man, that was the exact opposite of what I wanted to accomplish. So I've learned you only make direct amends to people in the context of making a relationship better. Now, sometimes in order to make a relationship better, you do need to excavate the past. Like in a marriage, you uh, it will help to excavate the past, especially if major agreements or transgressions have occurred and they've been kept secret. Let me bring this up and now what do you want to do going forward from here? Here's what I'd like to do. What do you want to do? So I'm grateful I've went through this process with everybody in my life. I've had some incredible conversations. My relationships 
with people in my life are the best they've ever been. My mother lives next door. My wife is the happiest in our marriage she's ever been. I have great relationships with my in-laws, with my brother, and with the rest of my family and friends. And when I first got sober, everything I just described was in jeopardy. My wife was on the edge of leaving me. I was straining my relationships a lot with my in-laws. My mother and I were having a hard time and she was very scared what was going to happen with me. And uh, through the process of even just my initial half measures do avail something if you if you don't just stop at half measures. Doing a you know piss poor job on these is much better than doing nothing. But if you if you go through these and just make the barest start and even screw some things up, it's good motivation to get a sponsor and ask for help and get some more advice and do a really good job on these and your life can be fantastic. So I'm really grateful for the chance to talk about these first nine steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is an amazing program of change for life. My life has been, I've been reborn. Like I'm as different from how I was nine years ago as nine years ago I was from being a baby. Like I'm, I'm a totally different person now and I'm here every day to help support you and you know the people alongside you in growing up. So I'm looking forward to writing a book about being sober. I've already got a book speaker meeting 2017. It it goes too much into like how it was. We're going to write one that goes more thoroughly into the solution, but if you just want all my war stories in their most graphic form, Speaker Meeting 2017 on Amazon and Audibles. It was too graphic for some, but that's I at one point I put my fist up in a book. My sponsor's like, I wouldn't do that. I'm like, I know. I need to do it though. It's my path. So there you go. Alright, I love each of you. Thanks a lot for watching this on Twitch or listening on my podcast or watching on YouTube. If you've got to the end of this, yeah, I am live every day on Twitch, almost every day on Twitch. I'm a life coach. This is, you know, helping people change their lives is what I do every day. And I film video courses and books, take calls, put out videos. So I really appreciate you being a part of that. I love you. You're awesome. I'll see you on the next live stream or YouTube video or podcast episode.